0: Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. Welcome to another exciting episode of the About Consent podcast. So this week I am interviewing Yami Pence, who I recently, and I shouldn't say recently, it's probably been the last six months that I've been following her account on Instagram. You will, of course, learn all about her through this interview and the work that she's doing. But I do want to give you a quick trigger warning that we do discuss aspects of child sexual abuse and cases that she has uh, specifically worked in and has had experience and stories to share. So there is a little bit of that, um, but I do want to recommend that if you do need to step away for your own mental health if you can find strategies to regulate your nervous system and come back to listen to the rest of the podcast or if you need to listen to it in small bites that's okay too as long as you are taking care of your mental health and without further ado let's dive into the episode. Thank you so much for being here, Yami. I'm really excited to connect with you on obviously a topic that we're both very passionate about, which is protecting children and uh, you know helping parents keep their kids safe. And I'm thrilled that you're here to talk about your experience in this field and what you're bringing to the table now, which is different from what it was previously. Um, so we'll dive into that. But thank you so much for being here and making the time to, to talk to this audience today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and talk with someone who is so passionate on keeping kids safe as well and helping parents, you know, through this really difficult task of keeping them safe, keeping their kids safe from this world.
0: And, well, you know, one of the things that I always say is I know that it can feel really challenging for parents, particularly if they are survivors, which you know, this podcast is dedicated to survivors, but it doesn't have to be. And I think that's where you and I come in to let people know that there there are so many resources out there today that can help. And so you're one of those. And that's why I'm so excited that you're here. So let's start with, first of all, you are a former Internet Crimes Against Children and Child Exploitation Special Victims Unit Detective from South Florida. And you now currently educate parents, schools, churches on how to keep kids safe from abuse on the internet, as well as in real life. You now have a company named Stay Safe with Yami. And I would love to hear your journey of how, first of all, why you chose to become a detective and then why you're not a detective anymore and like what you're doing now. So can you walk us through that, you know, journey and- and what, what made you decide to do this work, which I think for a lot of people, it's like, why would you go into that? Because it's such a heavy topic, right? So can you share that story?
1: For sure, so it all started when I was a child and um, a fellow family member of mine was abused and I walked in on it. Because of me walking in on it, the abuse was stopped from becoming worse in that moment. And it led into the abuse being reported. And um, you know, this, this family member of mine, I'm very protective of, of her still these, uh, to this day. So I, I kind of assumed this like God-given role of being the, the interjector, the protector, and you know the canceller of evil <laughs> I um, from that moment. I didn't even realize it obviously because I was a little girl and then I grew up and I'm like, I mean, what do you want to do? People would ask me and I'd be like, I want to help kids. I want to save kids. I want to protect children from bad people. And, um, I didn't even know how I wanted to do it, but once I was in college, you have to pick out those, those majors and those courses. So I started majoring in criminology and I worked at a child advocacy center in Gainesville, which, um, if you don't know what that is, that's basically a one-stop shop where you take a child who's been abused to be initially interviewed, recorded, and, um, with a therapist, with a social worker, with law enforcement, and with the forensic interviewer all in one so that the child doesn't have to be interviewed by all of those people at separate times. Sometimes even mm-hmm. the state, state attorney comes in. So um, its I really haven't seen very many places like that one and it was very good for me to do for a first thing. And it made me realize that um, because I got to see all of those people at work at the same time and you know, see the victim, see the victim's mom, get flashbacks to my childhood and realize, like, "Mm, as much as I love being the advocate, I really want to put the bad guy that hurt this child in jail. Mm. So... So that is where I started. You know, I never pictured myself being a cop with a police car and, you know, a gun and a badge. And then I was like, well, if that's the only way to keep kids safe, then I will go out of my comfort zone and I will do something I never planned on doing just so that I can help kids. Mm -hmm. And um, so I did. I I also did another internship with the Pentagon, uh, the Sexual Assault Prevention and Response Office, which majorly focuses on the sexual assault problem in the military. Um, so I learned a lot on that and I, you know, chose, I still wanted to focus on children. So I went to the police Academy and, you know, worked really hard knowing that I wanted to be a special victims unit detective, not even knowing what ICAC or internet crimes against children was when I became a cop. I had no idea what child sexual exploitation material was. I didn't, uh, my brain didn't even go there. I just knew that there were bad people out there, but did Mm -hmm. I know that, that there were adults out there that. Not only abused children, but videotaped and recorded it and put it on the internet. I didn't even understand that until I got there. Yeah. Until I started taking police specific courses within the police academy. And I was like, even more mind blown. And I was like, well, I'm definitely going to do that someday. So, Um, I worked really hard and, you know, became a special victims detective pretty quickly. And then right after that, they put me into ICAC.
0: So, yeah, um, that's amazing. That's I mean, yeah. yeah. And, And I totally hear you when you say like the more that you learn, the more mind blown you are about how horrendous, you know, the levels of abuse can be that people just have no like they can't even wrap their minds around. And I understandably, like nobody wants to think about these things. Right. But obviously like when you do start to learn about it and you have that in your heart to like, want to do something about it, you realize like you have to step out of that comfort zone and, you know, find a way to do the work because it's so needed. And, uh, so thank you for all of that time and service that you, uh, that you did to help, uh, protect children and keep, you know, keep offenders off the streets and, and out of homes that where they're hurting kids. But then you decided that this was no longer what you wanted to do. So can you talk to me about why that pivot happened? And, you know, was there like a pivotal moment where like, was there a specific event that made you decide, I have to put this down and do something different now?
1: Really, it was becoming a mom Mm -hmm. and realizing that I wanted to have a big hand in what was going on with my kids in their infancy, in their toddler stages and more. Um, and, and then I realized that as a mom, like I know exactly how to keep my kids safe. And so I'm going to help other moms. And so I start speaking to other moms who are my friends and whoever will listen to me. And many people shut me down because like you said, it is too hard to hear. It's too dark and shocking to, for people to want to really hear. Um, so when I was sharing how people can best keep their kids safe on the internet and in real life, you know, I wasn't getting the response. I thought I would, you know, because people, when they're hanging out with friends, don't really want to talk about that stuff. Yeah. So I was like, man, I need to make a page. And this is when my, my first child, my son was two months old in 2019. And, um, so I was still at home and I was just, you know, a new spark of passion being a mother. I was like, I need to help other moms keep their kids safe because if I'm worried about my keeping my child safe and I know exactly how to do it well I need to tell people who don't have any clue on Mm -hmm. you know how many things they need to do or or need to change or need to be aware of at the very least to uh, keep their kids safe in this day and age so I um for 2019 on I know I felt that god nudge like hey like you have another calling and I'm like okay but I still have to work and make money so Um, I kept on. And then I had my second child. And um, at that point, I knew, okay, I'm going to make a shift, I'm going to focus on my kids. And then soon after that, I'm going to start this journey of educating parents. And uh, here I am.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I completely get that too. I I feel like we're on such similar parallel paths, because that was, you know, the the same reason that I decided to go into this work because um, that wasn't this wasn't always what I did either and having kids and realizing once I started to educate myself because I, I I didn't even have the prior experience or knowledge as you where you know you you knew what was going on behind the scenes um, with abuse and I really just knew from my own personal experience as a survivor but then also like my own family and then of course once you have kids, it's a game changer. And you're, you know, you realize I want to protect my kids, but I also realize there's other parents going through who are survivors, right. Who are also struggling with like, how do I teach this to my kids without sort of transferring my anxiety to them. And, but also to do it in a way that isn't going to trigger me. And, you know, there's so many, so many variables there, like just, you don't know what you don't know. So Um, Mm -hmm. So again, I'm so glad that you're, you're in this space now helping to educate parents because really they are such a powerful frontline, right. For protecting kids um, from abusers. And if parents aren't educated, it gives offenders the advantage, right? So I love that you've been on both sides of this and that you're, you know, now helping to educate, but. Let me rewind back. I have a couple of questions from what you were sharing before. When you witnessed this um, family member when you walked in and interrupted the the abusive situation, how old were you at that time?
1: I was in the 3rd grade, so like 8, is that 8 years old, late 9? Yes,
0: somewhere between that. Yeah, okay. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty young and thank goodness, you know, that you were obviously able to do that. And and then you mentioned that there it was reported was that person, like, was there a pro- prosecution conviction? Like, is that person now a registered offender? Like, not to get into too many details, because I don't, you know, you don't need to share, but I, I was just That's curious, okay. like, did that turn out to be something positive in the end where that person was no longer able to to have access to children?
1: Unfortunately, no. The story is really sad. Um, the police department down here, uh, well, I'm actually, it's even further down south than I am right now, but they uh, really didn't handle it great. Um, especially knowing what a special victims detective can and can't do, um, you know, in a, in a state attorney's office, they, the charges were dropped. Uh, this guy was never put in prison. I gave a statement, my family member gave a statement and, um, yeah, it didn't, um, end up in him going to jail. So that was sad. Um, mm. it's, it's possible that other, uh, I don't know hundred percent, but I think, Other children could have been hurt by him. And he ended up uh, being swiftly taken off this earth one way or another. (laughs) So he's no longer, he's no longer alive. Um, But yeah, Yeah. so that actually gave me even more gusto and more motivation Mm -hmm. to be the best, most dedicated detective that I could be when I was. And I took every single case as if it was my child, I uh, would work at home, uh, work late nights, whatever I had to do. I did
0: because yeah. of that. Yeah. Wow. This episode is brought to you by Consentwear, an apparel brand with the goal of creating consent culture for kids, teens, and adults. Moms can wear a canvas tote or a t-shirt that says, in our home, we teach and practice consent. Or kids can go to school with a shirt that says, hashtag my body, my rules. I'm a consent-empowered kid. Or preschoolers can wear a t-shirt that says, no hugs, kisses, or tickles without consent to the next family gathering. These are clothes that make a statement to help them set boundaries and create a culture of consent wherever they go. Learn more at consentwear.com to check out all the most popular designs today. Link is in the show notes. Now let's get back to the show. So yeah, that, I mean, and that's such an unfortunate reality in so many cases, right? Where there's maybe not enough evidence or there's not enough of a testimony from the child that is considered credible. Like there's so many variables in these situations. Um, So in my, you know, in my opinion, obviously the best thing that we can do is prevent, but that's not always possible. We know that some situations you can prepare a child or you can talk to all the people and it can still happen. Um mm-hmm. because there's so many variables, but um ultimately we want our kids to be able to to report and to prevent a repeat situation or an escalation um and then, but you know, we get to then the the sort of third piece of it, which is that maybe nothing you know the the outcome that we hope for doesn't happen and um I would love for you to share maybe one or two stories that sort of stand out for you of situations that were both positive where you know, there was an arrest that was made and there was, you know, maybe enough evidence or, you know, it worked out the way it should have. And that, you know, that person is no longer able to access children. And then maybe another story of where that didn't happen or it went, went awry and unfortunately you know, because we, I think we, we have a very, um, most people think, oh, you know, the child reports and then it's taken care of, but that's not always the case. Do you mind sharing a couple of stories that kind of stand out from your you know, from that work that you did at that time?
1: Absolutely. So one of the ones, um, so this is just a regular special victims case, not nothing to do with the internet, just to show anyone who's listening, it's never too late to report. I had a nine-year-old little boy tell about his brother's abuse. So his brother had raped him in the bathroom and I don't know how many times it was at at, at this time, I can't remember, but he, and this was four years prior. So when he was five, this Mm. happened and he's reporting it at the point when he reported it to me at nine. And I, I took that case the whole way. So many people told me like, Hey, there's zero physical evidence. And this is, you know, a four-year-old case. The kid was five when it happened. Like it's not going to be worth it. Like, just do what you need to do to close the case. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. So I literally, I interviewed this suspect over and over. I interviewed his mom. I interviewed, um, you know, cause there was lots of covering up like within the family, you know, cause they knew mm. about it. They just covered it up. So, um, and then this little boy turns nine and he um, tells somebody else. And that person is the one's like, Oh, Mm. well, I don't care how long ago this happened. We need to do something about it. Yes. And so they, he actually had such an amazing interview. The brother was prosecuted. He turned 18, but they charged him as a, as a juvenile, um, mm. you know, at, at the very least to go get help mm-hmm. and um. you know, it'd be on record and there'd be a lot of precautions in place, you know, for him and other children and other people so um you know at the very least that they did at least do something there wow yeah Um, and that was a five-year delay so that the brother was 14 and the victim was five and then i'm sorry four-year delay from when the report happened and it still was prosecuted and it was a child on child so this is for any anybody listening that has to do so prosecutors law enforcement and you know parent or teen child that has abuse in the past, you can always report and you can always find somebody who will who will fight for you.
0: Yeah, thank you. That's incredible. And I think it's worth also noting that if this wasn't something that was reported earlier, is particularly if the family knew and didn't say anything, this means that the child themselves was not getting the support that they really, the proper support that they needed for healing, right? From right. from something like that, or even the offender in that case being the other child to also get the, the you know, what they needed. And this actually reminds me of the recent case with uh, Josh Dugar, I think is how you pronounce the last name. Are you familiar yeah. with that case? Where, oh, yes. Yes. yeah, so they, this was a case where it was sibling abuse as well. Um, yes. The parents found out they didn't want to report it to law enforcement and they dealt with it internally, but a through sort of quote unquote church officials that were the, um, the, the reckoners in this, in this situation but they didn't get uh, nobody was, you know, really received the mental health support that they needed both the survivor or the abuser. Um, yeah. And then now we see years later right w- with yeah. uh, an offender who was not charged at the time or or helped to figure out you know how do we properly uh give this person the mental health support so that they don't become a uh, an abuser again and and this and the healing for the survivors right and so now we have a situation where he's been arrested again on uh child sexual abuse material which leads me to think well what other victims have followed since then right and so um, it's such a, and, and because it's, you know, uh, inter-familial, there's such a taboo around it that I think parents fear, uh, and they don't even want to imagine that it could happen between siblings, which is something that has been unfortunately on the rise, because of the internet, we know that this is becoming um, a bigger issue than previously thought, and I'm sure you, you're familiar with this being that you were in the internet crimes against children division. So, wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. And hopefully, um, you know, parents that hear this, if, if there is a situation that's happened and you think it's a long time ago and there's nothing that can be done, you know, as you're saying, there is something that can be done. And it's definitely important that a survivor child gets the support that they need to heal versus having to carry that with them into adulthood and, and experience all kinds of mental health issues because of it. So, uh, wow. And then a story. um, So that was a positive outcome. Uh, Ironically, you know, we we think like, wow, that was, that's still very hard, but at least there was some uh, support and justice there. What about a situation that didn't necessarily go as hoped?
1: I'm having an actual harder time thinking of those, which is funny because it happens. It happens a lot. Most of the ones, um, honestly, they're they're just grouped together because when the child is interviewed, if they're so fearful based on how the parent responded, Mm. um, they shut down during the forensic interview. And, uh, sometimes they will even shut down from the forensic interview to the actual, uh, physical exam, which child victims do sometimes need to go through for physical evidence purposes. If they're not willing to speak, then, you know, they all, the examiner also needs to get consent to examine them. So they many times will also refuse a physical exam. Hmm. Um, So that completely just shuts cases down. That's why it's so important. One of my many passions in this education field is to teach parents how to respond, you know, how to pick up on signs, how to pick up on grooming signs um, before it gets too far, Um, you know, one of the things that happened with my family member was that she was groomed for a very long time Mm. and all of them were classic signs of grooming, but just never picked up on until the main event. sounds terrible to say the main abuse event occurred. Yeah. Then that's when, you know, when I walked in and everything went, um, you know, unraveling from there, but that's, that's why I grouped that in. It's just mostly when things don't work out is when a child completely shuts down
0: yeah, and and as you said, a lot of that has to do with how the parent initially responded to um, a, a disclosure. And a lot of times it seems like it's a partial disclosure, right? because kids want to see how the parent reacts to a little mm-hmm. bit of information and yes. to see if it's safe to report. so you've yes. you've obviously learned you know a lot about this and and you share you educate parents on this. So can you share um you know some some information that would help parents to know like if a child was to disclose, something, or what are some signs that they can look for that kind of gives them a clue as to like something's off here, or maybe, you know, I should ask some more questions because you have to be careful not to ask leading questions, right? So can you give some maybe tips or advice to parents on, first of all, how should you respond to, you know, if your child says something that isn't exactly a disclosure, but it's kind of like a clue, and uh, And then, you know, maybe what kinds of questions parents should continue to ask to, to help the child share as much as they feel comfortable sharing at that time and, and to feel safe.
1: So some signs for the grooming would be withdrawal, uh, behavioral signs of depression, anxiety, of not wanting to be around a certain person, um, wanting to avoid that person's house or if it's school or a certain class or a certain event or You know, um, sports, something like that. And they just do not want to go all of a sudden. And they had been alone with someone in that area, someone in that building, someone in that, you know, school, coach, club, whatever. And they just suddenly don't want to be part of that anymore. It could be other kids, it could be cousins, to definitely um, gently start asking more questions. Bedwetting is even one of the, the signs of abuse um, mm-hmm. possibly occurring. Also, there's a bunch of physical signs um, that are that you'd think would be more obvious, but then there's some that are not, like you know, recurring UTIs, bruising on the genitalia, bleeding, um, infections, things like that that don't really make a lot of sense. Those are those are the more commonly known ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so if your child tells you something that isn't a full disclosure, definitely just repeat back and mirror what they're saying to you. Um, so you're, you know, like exactly like this. So you're saying this happened. Okay. Um, how did it make you feel when that happened? Okay. Um, you know, and, and just ask them what they did in that moment to paint the picture for you. You know, you're not leading Mm -hmm. any questions that you're just asking them to, okay. So if you were going to draw a picture of it, or if you were going to tell me, like you were reading me a story, tell me how, how this event occurred.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, so you're not directly asking any questions and then, um, you can always, I, I never neglect, you know, I never tell parents not to ask specifically about private parts safety because you can, if you're a parent, a safe parent who is always practicing body safety and private part safety and asking kids question about this, then, you know, if they start to disclose something to you, you know, you can specifically ask if clothes were on or off and if uh, any private parts were involved in any situation, whether it's on the mm-hmm. screen or in person you know, you don't, it it doesn't have to be, you know, a complete avoidance of those words, (laughs) you know, specifically asking if any nudity, any touching or anything was involved because you do need to know, um, you know, to, to, protect your child. So a lot of people worry about leading questions. Um, definitely use language that you already have used with your child. If you start interjecting language, you know, like did Bobby, do X, Y, Z to you, you know, like that is sounds more like a leading question because you're specifically X, Y, Z is something that your kid is may or may not have ever said before. Right. So make sure you're using that and, you know, it's a safe or unsafe touch. And that's, what's so important about body safety teaching, you know, from day one, as soon as they can talk little by little, because they will know exactly what you mean, you know, as yeah. soon as you start, saying, was there an unsafe touch? Like, did, you know, was there something that made you feel unsafe, feel uncomfortable, feel scared? Um, That's how I would go into that and remain as calm as possible, as positive as possible. How proud you are, tell them how proud you are of them coming to you. Tell them how safe they are with you and how they'll never get in trouble and how none of this is their fault um, and how you're going to help them, you know, and just be comforting, be calm, you know, if you need to revert, rehearse this in your head, especially if you're a survivor, you may need to, because mm-hmm. it could be a trigger, like a huge trigger, yeah. if um, something like that comes out, I, I have definitely seen that, um, you know, even with toddlers in preschool exposing each other, you know, like, mm-hmm. show me mine, I'll show you yours type of thing, right. very common in preschools to happen, and uh, I've seen that trigger someone I love very much, and you know, it, it was, um, I was able to comfort her because I had seen, you know, these cases so much because we would attend CPS investigations mm. um, while we were on the road. Before it was even a detective, we would go to schools and daycares on a regular basis because this is very common. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so to definitely, um, you know, take deep breaths. If you have somebody who's informed in, in you know, body safety, private part safety, that you could trust, to just let out all of the trauma. If you do have trauma to let out some of the the worries that you have before, mm-hmm. you know, if you do have a moment before you talk to your child, because they they can read us like a book. They know their parents.
0: Yeah, so. absolutely. And, I, and I, I completely agree. I think it's so important that if you find yourself triggered in those moments to to breathe, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, trying to keep as calm of a face as possible, because like you said, they can read us and It's so key to let them know that what they're sharing with you is you are a safe space, right? To be able to share because they're, um, you know, one of the things that I I think a lot of parents don't realize is because 90% of abuse happens by people that we know and trust um, and that the child knows and trusts that there is a fear from the child of like, if I tell my mom this, what's going to happen to the person or what's going to happen to my mom or what's going to happen to me, right? Like there's just a a lot of fear. And if we show visible signs of like, I can't handle what you're telling me, that can be really scary for a child, you know, who it took a lot of courage in the first place to share any of it. And now to say, oh my goodness, like what I've told my parent is, is Freaking them out, right? Mm -hmm. Making them sad. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it, you know, it's such an important piece of information for parents to know is that if you are a survivor, this can hit you like a ton of bricks and to have some kind of strategy for like, okay, I just need to take a moment, you know, it's like, okay, you know what, let me, I just have to get a glass of water and get up and, you know, take a breath as you're getting the water and then come back as composed as you can so that you can be that safe space for your child. So, um, you know, I think that's an important reminder. And and I love that you also share that with parents too. Um, and, and I think that, you know, you've shared now uh, some signs that p- parents can look for if there is, you know, some physical or maybe behavioral signs. What about in terms of, Let's say that the child has disclosed and you realize that abuse has definitely happened. What is the best next step for a parent who, you know, maybe is freaked out because it's another parent and they're afraid of like, if I disclose what's going to happen to this person, I obviously should be, you know, uh, getting support for my child and reporting this, but like maybe they're a little bit nervous of what to do next. What's the next step for that parent to take?
1: Well, thinking of from a detective standpoint and a mom standpoint. So you wanna just love and hug your child and make them feel as calm and comfortable as possible um, and let them know that this isn't okay and we do have to do something about this. Um, It's okay that if you don't know the answers to say, I don't know everything that's going to happen, but I promise you that I'm not gonna leave your side. I'm gonna make sure you're safe and this person isn't gonna hurt you anymore. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you um, start, you know, making a strategy, writing down like a checklist of what you need to do. But the one question um, sometimes parents don't ask is when was the last time that this person did this to you? Mm -hmm. And that's from an evidence standpoint, because there's a certain quickness um, that we need to, address that with for those forensic exams those physical exams because that could be the difference between conviction and no conviction um, Mm -hmm. is physical evidence on the child so if it just happened last night then we may need to be doing things immediately Um, Mm -hmm. not everything but some things need to be maybe done immediately um, you know, we, we always tried to have a child who's rested and, you know, comfortable before we put them in the spotlight for an interview and examination, but, um, sometimes it wasn't possible. Mm-hmm. So. So just know that um, you know just to to wonder when was the last time this happened because there's also things like clothing items, things that leave evidence um, Mm -hmm. that these people sent to stuff under beds and behind couches, and I'll get to that later. Mm. Um, So you know that you know underwear, things like that. um, That. That could really make or break because the the child could completely shut down during an interview, say only a few words and just get emotional, which is totally understandable. Mm -hmm. Um, But if that child has a pair of underwear or a pair of clothing that has the suspect's DNA or even semen. Um, anything like that, um, there is no ex, there are very few explanations for that. So, right, um,
0: right, right.
1: Um, so, it definitely can really help a case. So, that's why, you know, it's best not to wait too long um, with keeping your child's mental health in mind. Um, there's lots of stuff that we can yeah. do to, to make a case really strong. And, mm-hmm. and it's not even about us, it's just to get this offender away from people as long as possible.
0: Right, right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. So I think that that's, that's something that I don't think I've ever shared really. And and it's such a valuable point because the time, you know, that, that immediacy can really make a difference in a case. And I've had so many parents who have connected with me and, you know, the uh, either law enforcement or a therapist or even child protection services, hasn't really been able to uh, create a strong case. And this leaves the child vulnerable to have to go, you know, uh, continue, you know, in a case where let's say it's a parent to to continue having unsupervised uh, visits in custody, which, you know, is so devastating to a parent who knows that abuse is happening and there's nothing that they can do. So I think that that makes a a big difference to know what what will make a case stronger um, in terms of evidence. So that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, we can talk like for hours about this. You and I both have a lot of <laughs> a lot of passion <laughs> for this work. <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel like I, I should have you back at some point, but I know that we're eventually going to do an Instagram live and I want people to just connect with you and learn more uh, from you and directly from you. So how can people work with you? What is it that you're offering currently in terms of working with parents and and what's the best place to connect with you online?
1: I am on Instagram with Yami Pence. I am on TikTok, stay safe with Yami. Y-A-M-I is how you spell Yami. And I have my website that just redirects you to social media right now. It's staysafewithyami.com. I plan to offer one-on-one consultations. Right now, I'm I'm taking them just kind of unofficially. Um, You know, if somebody comes to me with something that they need some pretty in-depth help with, I will offer that. And then if, if all goes well, I will have some more resources for parents, physical, digital resources for parents to, to be able to see and kind of have everything in one place per subject matter, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's an ebook or a course um, is TBD. But I do want to offer things for parents because um, the questions that I get, you know, a lot of times I'll have answered it or I'll have answered just the surface of it, um, but I could go in so much more detail. Yeah. So I, I know that it's something parents could really use. So uh, keep an eye out for those things. They will be coming.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and I will post all of those uh, uh, social media links and, and website links in the show notes. So if you're listening, you can head over to aboutconsent.com or the show notes in uh, whatever platform you're listening through. And you'll find those, those links there to connect with Yami. Uh, you're doing amazing work. And I'm so glad and grateful that you're in this space and as a parent now helping other parents. Um, so I just want to say thank you. I'm so grateful that, that you're doing this work and, and what you've done already. So uh, please make sure that you're connecting with Yami. Yami, thank you so much for being here today. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing the feedback from the audience after they hear this episode.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all that you do as well.
0: Awesome. Thank you. All right, listeners, I would love to hear your takeaways. Let us know what was the biggest aha moment that you had in today's episode? What did you learn? And what are you going to put into practice? Because knowledge is nothing without implementation. So we'd love to hear what you learned. Please share this episode with other parents so that they can become educated, informed, and aware that we all need to do more to protect our kids, especially today. So thank you all for listening, and I'll see you next time. Don't miss the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture, one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.